Hello, welcome to A Good Technologist, a podcast about how innovators are using technology across Asia and the world to make our society a better place. This podcast is brought to you by Better.sg, a movement to drive tech for good based in Singapore. My name is Rovik and I'm your host today. And today we have a special guest, Nikhil Chowdhury, who is a coder by day and a do-gooder at all times, actually. Uh, Nikhil, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, I am very excited to talk to you as one of our first guests because, you know, Tech for Good has such a varied interpretation in society, but you are literally working in the public sector doing tech for good. Uh, you know, tell us more. What, what are yeah. you doing in, in the government? Yeah. Uh, so the only nuance there maybe is like tech for public good. So I'm, I'm Nikhil. Uh, I'm a software engineer at... Uh, open government products. It's a small startup uh, within uh, gov- the government technology agency of Singapore. Uh, I've been there for about two years. Um, and so, like, yes, I do, t- do tech for public good. Um, and that's very much part of our mission, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I-, I love the clarity of, of uh, thought and of purpose that we have on the team. It's quite motivating, actually, to be doing that. Uh, and yes, as you alluded to it, I also do other stuff um, outside of work hours. Um, but perhaps not in the not in the public sector space, but more in the social sector uh, space uh, of things. Right. I so I'm very interested by one of the things that you've been doing yeah. within uh, open government products, uh, OGP. Yes. Right. Uh, and that is, a, a, you know, this reminds me of the Iron Man yeah, uh, narrative, Jarvis. Right. So Jarvis is basically something that you and your team created to help the police be able to do better search. It's basically yeah. an AI for police almost. Yeah. Uh, what, why did you do that? Like, yeah. what, what's the story behind that? Yeah, the, the, the story actually predates my, talk, my joining the team, uh, interestingly. So yeah, Jarvis also was not a choice um, uh, uh, that I made. Uh, I would have called it something dumber, so that, <laughs> so that like, you know, like um, under promise, over deliver. Right. <laughs> but uh, everybody is like, Jarvis, ooh, it's going to be like Iron Man. What would you have named it if you could? I, oh, <laughs> I haven't thought about it, but I was thinking of uh, Dumbo the Elephant. <laughs> <laughs> so you have absolutely no expectations walking into right, it. Right, right. Uh, but yes, the, the problem statement uh, is, is fascinating, actually. The uh, police came to my team uh, looking for an AI product. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's part of why it is named Jarvis, too. Um, they were looking to revolutionize how they do policing. Uh, but when we went on the ground to speak to the police officers and observe how they behaved, uh, it was very clear to us that it didn't, they didn't need AI, they just needed a better search. Okay. Um, search was excruciatingly slow. Um, and as a technologist, this is one of those things that you know when you see it that, oh, this does not need to be this slow. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you can improve it. And just by doing that, you can actually uh, make their lives way better. Um, if I may take a small digression, I think, uh, the, the, the hype or the desire for AI um, is perhaps kind of centered around you not wanting to do the painful job yourself. Um, yeah. And I think that that's once, human, yeah. human <laughs> habit in general. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and once we, once we were able to successfully deliver on Chavez, this is me jumping uh, quite far ahead, um, I think police officers really did enjoy uh, the experience enough to not want to wish away or to not want the AI product anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were able to kind of um, like wash that out of their memories that this was supposed to be an AI product just by giving them something that made search really, really fast. Yeah. So what was uh, the impact that you created in, in terms of, you know, 
helping the police or helping citizens? Like, what what yeah. actually happened as a result of this technology? Um, yeah. So the, the the main thing it does just to um, just to contextualize it is it a police investigation officer will be able to look up um, previous reports, um, individuals, and um, um, and vehicles data, vehicle data that they have in their databases. Mm -hmm. um, so previously, this would take quite a long time. Now I've worked very hard to make it Google search uh, equivalent kind of speed yep. um, so that they don't have that cognitive drift, you know, when they're intending to search for something and then they come back um, not remembering why they intended to make that search. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, they, a lot of people have loved it. Uh, the police officers are really excited to be able to use it. Uh, they are very thankful for the product, but uh, it, it's interesting actually, uh, again, another digression, but Police officers, while they still have, while they have this brand new product, still have some very old processes. So they still need to use paper uh, for a bunch of stuff and print out and do documentation in that way, mm -hmm. and still be making searches on the old system uh, in order to be using that as a source of proof rather than just this new system. So perhaps uh, this is a perhaps a, short, a shortcoming of technology that we don't just need to make a technological change; we also need to make a process change. Right, uh, and that's something that we are slowly in the midst of doing um, to actually like deliver on their promise of like a better police ex better police experience that's that's fascinating to yeah. hear on two counts the first is that first of all the requirement that came in was an ai yes. system and as you rightly mentioned not everything needs to be ai sometimes it you know really understanding the nature of the problem and understanding actually what can solve it with the least resources is one big part uh, but the second thing that i i agree with you 100 percent is that any kind of technological solution needs to be accompanied by a process change sometimes, or maybe even a people change, Indeed. Uh, capability cultural, change, yeah. uh, cultural change, absolutely, yeah. to be able to actually create the impact that you want to create. Yeah. Uh, and I think in this case, you know, the tech for good angle that, that, that you talked about, you know, you can, you can come in with, with a technology to help people do things easier, but the actual improvement and and, and operations that are actual improvement and being able to do things better cannot just come because of, of a technology panacea. Uh, How do you communicate that with, with the police? Like, was that, like, I, I imagine that depending on who you talk to, the reception was very different. Indeed, indeed. Uh, so one part of, um, of technology that makes it uh, quite easy for us to convince our stakeholders is the ability to rapidly prototype. Uh, so we, prior to my joining the team, uh, built out a prototype on a subset of the data mm -hmm. uh, to do a demonstration to the police, um, to the appropriate authorities in the police to convince them that, hey, there is value, uh, there is value in doing something like this. Um, this is, again, despite much pushback during the process, um, they did still want an AI system yep. um, and we were, we were quite focused on wanting to de deliver what's very specifically just fast improved search mm -hmm. um, and finally when we did manage to reach up high enough in the food chain um, they were they were willing to they saw the value in it um, and they were willing to, uh, to, to to give it a shot and to have us roll out um, another important uh, part of the technology is that you can actually stand on the shoulders of giants uh, so while I have improved a lot of uh, the experience I didn't build all the infrastructure by myself right. the existing databases is what we are using um, they even have an existing um, search index um, all I did is actually a very, very small uh, backend that will just authenticate you um, again through your whatever existing SPF uh, um, 
um, uh, permissions that you have and it will just uh, proxy whatever requests get made from the front end. Mm. Uh, it's actually very, very simple um, as a tool. We just have done a whole bunch of stuff by focusing on the user experience to, to optimize stuff. And I can, I, can go, I can dive into the weeds of things <laughs> uh, and how I remove stuff from the... Uh, I remove stuff that were path blocking and how you, you optimize your assets and, and how you, you make a bunch of queries together or you parallelize. I, yeah, I, I can, I, we don't need to dive too far into the weeds of things, but yes, I did manage to focus very hard on the user experience to, in order to get that buy-in. Uh, but but the, you, you bring up a good point, and that's that we do need to focus on the user experience of all users involved and mm -hmm. all stakeholders. Um, and it is insufficient for us to only be focusing on the user who is finally going to be uh, who's going to be using it most often? If senior management does not want to buy into this, mm -hmm. the user on the ground is not going to benefit from it. Uh, and so that's something that I think I'm personally struggling with because when we think of user-centered design, it's usually not all stakeholders. It is usually the uh, the, the last person who's going to be using the, the final person on the ground who's going to be using it. Uh, and so perhaps that is a shift in the narrative around uh, doing good uh, that may be beneficial. Um, but I, I'm not sure. Just uh, perhaps a controversial opinion over here. Yeah. No. You. I, I think we see that in a lot of products that may mean to create an impact in, you know, either in your case, the public sector, but also in the social sector where the person asking for the product is not necessarily the same person who's uh, the target yeah. user, right? Uh, and, and I think we can see that an example in hospitals and caregiver communities uh, in, you know, all the way down to nonprofit sectors, right? Yeah. Where you're saying like, I want my beneficiary to use this app, but I'm setting the requirements. Yeah. And so there's this whole aspect of, of user validation, user-centered design that, that needs to come up, uh, which, is, which is fascinating, especially in the tech for good sector. Um, another thing, Nikhil, I've known you for a while now. Uh, spoiler alert to, to everyone <laughs> on the show. It's not completely new, uh, but one of the things that, that I really enjoy about the work that you do, both in OGP and in general, uh, is that you do take a very strong learning approach to, to everything, meaning that you're constantly trying to find ways to, to share what you have discovered to make sure that other people can get on uh, that, that ship as well. Uh, and, you know, I find it very cool that actually one of the things that you do is that you do a lot of, of teaching yeah. uh, uh, within, within the public sector. So, you know... You, I, I heard that you teach all the way up to senior yeah. civil servants, yeah. down to you know people in the tech teams who are, who are doing stuff. Can you tell me why? Like, what, what's this, what's the reason behind you even putting your foot out there and doing that work? I, you know, I I've really thought a lot about this because I want to inspire other people to do it too, and I haven't been able to narrow down, narrow down too well. So allow me to ramble this very briefly. Sure. Um, I, I think a big part of this comes from. The, the joy that I get from seeing how empowered people feel walking out of that classroom. Got it. Um, I, I, I think that's really it. It's just, it's just to be able to see them be so thankful that they were able to do this thing that they didn't previously do, which I date back all the way to my time when I first started college. I went in there and Python was still a type of snake. Um, spoiler alert, it's a programming language. <laughs> yeah. and now when you mention Python to me, it's a programming language. It's not a right. type of snake. Coding languages now all have weird names. They do. Yeah. They do. They do. Uh, so I, I learned Python uh, in my first semester in school and that strong sense of empowerment I got each week after being able to com complete a homework that I would previously not have been able to do um, and, and seeing how much impact that would be able to make 
was was phenomenal and I got really hooked onto it that I went back to teach that class uh, for the, the, the next two semesters uh, and that's the kind of sense uh, that I want to leave other people with and I think that may be a part of it mm -hmm. uh, a big part of it of why I do it but then there are a couple of other reasons why I'm still despite struggles uh, and despite not getting that like dopamine hit that I'm talking about I still do it one is that I think that we can improve our organizations by making them learning organizations. Mm -hmm. um, there, is a, there is a divide that I see between uh, technologists and non-technologists, the engineers and non-engineers, um, uh, in, in, in a lot of organizations, not just my own, which I think if we were able to bridge, and if you're able to build more empathy from each side, we would be far more effective in doing our work. And that goes back to even some of the struggles that we saw with Jarvis and with, with AI and, and mismanaged expectations over there. Um, and, and I have seen some of the benefit coming out of it. I, as you mentioned, have taught senior civil servants the benefits and the, how, how, how to use the cloud and um, understanding web technologies a little better so that they, are, they, they aren't just all uh, magical. Mm -hmm. um, I also teach and I, I, I do, uh, and we can, we can talk about that a little more. Um, I do try to influence them to a certain uh, different way of doing things, and, yep. you know, kind of inducing that cultural change, uh, but helping them organically come to their conclusion rather than us necessarily uh, be breathing them down, breathing that down their throats, uh, stuffing that down their throats. Sorry, um, it's 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 I think quite um, a powerful lever for change uh, that I think is very underestimated today, uh, and that's another big reason why I continue to do it. Yeah. So, but but why the public service? Like, mm -hmm. I imagine that anyone who is presented with that challenge would immediately run away because the public service, not just in Singapore yeah. but globally, is known as uh, you know, one of the slowest and, yeah. and most difficult institutions to penetrate. Yeah. A lot of it because of bureaucracy, a lot of it because, you know, especially your senior civil servants, some, some of which in Singapore, yes, we can find progressive yeah. Uh, yeah. civil and public servants, but most of them tend to be steeped in their old ways, Indeed. right? So why, why even enter into that space uh, and yeah. try to educate them? Yeah, um, that's, a, that's, a, uh, yeah that's a tough question. I think the reason I do that is because this is where I see the most uh, value added mm. um, in doing so. I, I think I should not shy away from the challenge uh, because I think if I'm able to crack this nut and I haven't yet done so, and I would love some of your thoughts on how I can improve mm. uh, what I do with, with teaching and kind of influence more broadly. If we crack this open, uh, we can save the public sector so much money yep. um, improve people's lives by, by, by massive amounts right because the public sector is in charge of like delivering for the entirety of Singapore um, and I think that is um, yeah that is part of why I'm motivated to, 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 to do it in this space the, the other bit is that I think um, there's also this uh, neglectedness if I may um, in the in the public sector for folks wanting to teach or do this do this translation bit mm -hmm. um, this translation bit is kind of a little um, more um, implicit it's not it's not a very explicit thing that I'm trying to do right I'm trying I'm just kind of like a Trojan horses in um, and if, if there were more folks doing it in the public sector I would perhaps have uh, done it for example like uh, with the uh, with the social sector, one right. of the things I used to do um, was I would teach um, as part of a as part of coding the community at Cinda, um, basic Scratch programming to to, to 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 folks over there, and that is also very motivating for me, right? Right. Uh, so why do I choose to continue doing it in the public sector and not perhaps uh, be helping young children um, learn the joys of programming? I think it's because I I see how much of a challenge it is and how few people are tackling this challenge that I'm I, that I'm trying to bang my head against it. Yeah, I, I, I can empathize a lot because I think 
besides technology, even with a lot of new processes and methodologies, right? Yeah. So one of the things that I try to introduce in my organizations is better communication and change management philosophies. Okay. Uh, and I can imagine that it's it's a similar narrative where, you know, your boss says, cool, I'm glad you're learning that, but, you know, don't try to change me. Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, you can go ahead and yeah, do it, but yeah. I don't want to get on board. And, and I, I'm hearing a lot of, of a similar story with you where you're saying, look, it's not just us who needs to, who needs to be implementing these projects. We need you to provide resources. Yes. We need you to structure in a certain way, to, to contract in a certain way. Uh, and these are all very big terms in, in, in government. And, I, and I'm sure a lot of people who, who, who are listening may not know some of these terms. So maybe uh, tell us a bit about, you know, when you influence exactly what are some of the things that you're trying to get them to think differently? Is it about how they hire? Is it about how they do projects? What's, what, what is tr- going to be changing? Uh, I'm, you, you, you're forcing me to spill all my secrets over here, you know? <laughs> Give it what you can. <laughs> Just a teaser and then everything else people can email you. <laughs> so I, th- there are a couple of agenda items that I, that I have that, I'm always, uh, that are top of my mind. Yeah. Uh, and they mostly revolve around like how to build good products. Uh, one of them is uh, a relentless focus on the user. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of, I think that's a little unintuitive yeah. for especially a large organization uh, to be when we are so far away from the user. Uh, another one is uh, the that technology is fundamentally different from a lot of other infrastructure in that you can prototype and code is cheap. You can throw it away. Mm-hmm. Um, so just test out your hypothesis as quickly as you can. Um, and, and so we do um, both of those by, by showing them a product story of how we, how we develop a product internally and how quickly we were able to do it and the learnings that we had at each stage to show them that you don't need like a fully baked product requirements document in order to get started. You just need to have some inkling that this is a painful point for citizens and we could potentially solve it by using this. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also another, uh, in terms of specific technologies that I try to evangelize, I do focus on uh, getting people to think about the cloud a lot. Um, I think there are massive savings uh, in terms of cost that come when we use the cloud. Uh, it is unlike uh, popular to believe in the service. It is secure. Uh, it is a matter of how you set it up, mm-hmm. and it can get you very, very far, very quickly. A lot of it, going back to the point of standing on shoulders of giants, they have done the work for you. Uh, on a similar vein, I also try to emphasize how beneficial open source technologies are. Uh, something that is somewhat uh, unintuitive for us, given that we mostly are contracting and procuring um, from vendors um, and proprietary technologies. This is uh, open source technologies is a big thing that has made our lives uh, much much easier. And so both of those combined, uh, using the cloud and open source technologies, help us like achieve that iteration that we need, right? The speed of iteration to be able to then go back to my earlier point, focus on the user and test out hypotheses really quickly. Yeah. Um, so, so that's kind of what I, I try to push for. Uh, but I, I, I do it as implicitly as possible. I try not to call it out because people don't like being preached and that uh, people don't like it to uh, come from the top down. People want to organically reach that conclusion. So when we share the story of how, for example, when I get my boss to come in and talk about parking to SG, they, 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 they are they're able to connect those dots themselves and be like, oh, so maybe that's something that I should do. That, that's a great point because I think a lot of people who are listening to this show may be asking themselves, you know, they may not be in decision-making positions, and but they want to use technology to solve problems in the organizations or in the environments that they're in. 
and they need to convince stakeholders they need to convince decision makers and i think telling stories is a powerful way yeah. uh, of showing how much technology can do good yeah. right it's not just about showing the specifications yeah. not just about showing you know how advanced things are but really storytelling as as a as a tool uh, which is amazing um I want to learn a bit more about you, Nikhil, uh, and I think a lot of our audience does too, uh, because you know getting to this point is not just you know choices that you are making now, but a series of of events that brought you here. Yeah. Right. And and I want to know what made you choose to enter GovTech. What made you choose to even want to enter the space of yeah. of using technology to to address uh, issues in the public and social sector. Uh, that, that's that's like another really difficult question. I, <laughs> I'm just hitting you hard today. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're, you're inducing like existential crisis on me right now. So I I didn't know that I wanted to do anything in uh, technology uh, even when I went to college. Mm-hmm. Uh, unlike a lot of my contemporaries uh, and peers who have been coding since they were 12 or 14, I uh, like I said I didn't code until I went to college. I, I went in there wanting to study mechanical engineering and engineering and public policy. Okay. Yeah. Wow. It was only that introductory Python programming course that changed my life. It's yeah. a very fast-paced course. That was a course on reptiles. <laughs> I should go back and talk to the professor. <laughs> Why did you teach about reptiles? <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, it's only at that course where I, uh, where I think the trajectory that I had uh, changed. And I also have a lot um, uh, to... A lot of credit is due to Carnegie Mellon for kind of the culture that you have over there where you see what is possible with technology. Um, and you see your folks just building so much. Um, and, and I think that is really what I was hooked on to, the ability to make impact very quickly. Right? And, and just the unit economics of software, if I do again go on a small digression is usually quite low mm-hmm. once you there's a very high fixed cost to building it but once you build it out you can roll it out and like it's very cheap almost free to run everywhere um, whether it's on an app or whether it's on your, uh, whether it's on your computer and that's kind of what I saw over there and I was like I want to do that mm-hmm. yeah um, I really want to do that I, I did have a bit of a struggle though in terms of where do I want to make that difference and uh, I, I, yeah, I was toying with whether or not uh, the best way to make the difference is to join a big tech company um, and to learn the best practices um, over there or whether to return to Singapore um, and, and honor the commitment that I made uh, to the government to give it a shot over here. Um, and I, I finally did boil down um, to, making, uh, to, to honoring some part of that commitment and giving it a, shot, a fair shot over here. And, and I've done two years here uh, in, in, in making that difference and I'm really thankful for, for actually, very, two things very precisely. The first is my boss, and the second is my team that has kind of kept me, uh, kept me going, especially through challenges and through tough times. Yep. Um, and and so I that's kind of, that's kind of how very broadly I've, I've come into this space. Um, I I don't know if this is what I want to be doing for the rest of my life, and I don't think I need an answer to that. Um, but I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it a day at a time, a year at a time. That's yeah. that's a good way to approach it. I mean, I I've heard a lot about what has created the factors of success for you, right? Whether it's your team, your bosses, all the way to that sense of satisfaction you get from, you know, always seeing people leave the room, feeling empowered to to do good. I'm interested to hear about what some of these challenges were in this journey. Uh, You mentioned tough times just now, um, but also I imagine in some of these big things that you were doing, whether it's Jarvis or, or teaching, 
uh, public servants and civil servants that there were times where tech for good did not seem like a very reasonable or feasible uh, you know outlet in, to, to engage yourself can you share a bit about what some of those experiences were like uh, and what you did around them I guess yeah I've, I've had I've had a uh, I've had a whole host of them uh, one one big like category of, of challenges that I've faced are with what I consider to be a mismatch between um, my my goals or my vision or my mission and the incentives that the organization has set up uh, for other people uh, if, you, if I had to really boil it down and abstract it away more more concretely I may propose an initiative that I think is definitely going to deliver good uh, in, in whatever space but I get a lot of pushback for a whole variety of a whole host of reasons that may not necessarily be legitimate reasons if you had to think a little harder about it and in times like those are very demotivating for me you know because I, I thought we were all on the same page some part of me some part of the struggle also comes from my restlessness really mm-hmm. um, that, that you you heard me allude to right this ability to make impact now I I I don't have the patience, I think, to, to be working and to be navigating within a large organization. And a lot of the teaching that I do also is a learning opportunity for me uh, to understand that perhaps we are not all ready for some of the changes that I'm proposing. Um, it's just this resistance to change is very real, right? Um, how do you how do you omit all of that? Um, stay sane and continue pushing for what you want to do. Uh, so that, yeah, just very broadly, that's some of what I struggle with. Right. What, what do you think is a challenge for society uh, in, in, you know, approaching tech for good? Because yeah. similar to your initial dilemma about whether you wanted to work for a big tech company or, you know, come back and work in the government, I think a lot of different people may be asking themselves, you know, why not just, like, do tech and let the public sector uh, do, you know, through policy or through, through its own means traditional means try to uh, achieve the social good that, that it needs. Why use technology for social good? Uh, I, I get the sense that there is this increasing enlightenment within not just Singapore society, but, you know, globally about how technology can be used to, you know, uh, talk about uh, ethical consumerism or even help with mental health. But, you know, how do we get past that surface level? Like we're just creating an app or creating a website and actually using tech to solve social good? That's a great question. I've thought a bit about this and I've had multiple discussions with my friends too. The, the, I, I realize that it takes quite some, it takes some time out there working for you to reach that realization that perhaps you're not actually making the world a better place, hmm. um, contrary to what you were told when you got that job. This, we had this, there's a certain like, side guys back in, in college that like we are going to be solving the world's hardest problems and we're going to be making the world a better place and this is um, before the Donald Trump got elected and the whole scandal of Facebook and Cambridge Analytica broke out right mm-hmm. um, starting in 2014 or 2016 uh, in school I uh, at, at that point in time everybody felt that they were like getting like um, like having their cake and eating it too, you know, they were getting to earn a bunch of money, able to solve difficult problems, but then they were also being able to make a difference in the world. And when I talk to my contemporaries today, they, they've come increasingly to the realization that they're no longer making the world a better place, uh, contrary to what they believe. So now they're realizing that they have this trade-off to make. 
Um, and so I, I think my, my answer to you really is to just go out and have multiple experiences. Go out and have internships, um, go out and work at different places, go out and try just something on the side, you know, uh, help out with the nonprofit, you know, volunteer your time. Just understand what the problems are on the ground and understand the reality of things for you to finally come to that own conclusion organically. And I apply no value judgment either way, but for you to actually make the decision consciously um, on whether you want to be um, on which side of the camp, right? Yeah. How, how do you measure your own journey i guess yeah. or you know i i think this concept of measurement is is controversial in itself yeah because you know sometimes you just got to do what you got to do yeah. but also you know you want to make sure that you are living according to standards that you set for yourself yeah. the goals that you're on uh one thing and you know i'm going to park that question and and open up something that you just shared with me which is that actually you're looking at uh, starting your own company, yes, right? and going, yeah. uh, starting your own yeah. uh, startup, and so part of that pivot must have been also from this conversation with yourself, where you're asking yourself, you know, am I where I want to be, or am I doing what I want to be doing at this point? Right. Yeah. Talk talk us through how you got to that decision point, uh, and then and. And, and then we can talk about the startup as well. Yeah, uh, so I think one of the things that I've come to realize I should be optimizing for, especially when I'm younger, is uh, to take more risk. And as I grow older, to, 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 to like pare down the amount of risk that I take commensurate to the amount of responsibility that I have at that point in life. And so in line with that, I think it is somewhat reckless of me if I do not take on more risk today because I will regret that in the future. Mm -hmm. um, you know, no, no one at the deathbed was like, oh, I wish I worked more. Um, but the people do regret that, oh, I wish I, I took up that opportunity when, when I had the chance to. Um, and I had a friend actually in, in line with this, I had a friend come visit last August um, from whom I knew from Carnegie Mellon, who saw me teach and who saw me, uh, uh, shadowed me a day at work. And we had a bunch of discussions around um, how we can improve education and how we can improve technology. And that was like a really like rejuvenating conversation to be having with him. And ever since then, we have been on uh, weekly calls just to kind of um, chat and to figure things out. And he has invited me to join him as a co-founder to, to work in the ed tech space. Um, and to be joining him in, their in his startup. So that's what I'll be planning to, to go off and do in May. It's really because I had this opportunity come knocking on my door. Um, I, I wasn't actively looking for something, um, but, but I, I think when you do get opportunities, you should, you should jump at it, particularly when you have um, far less to lose than, um, than later in life. Yeah, so what, what I'm hearing is that the way that you are measuring the impact that you're creating is is really not from an output perspective, but really how much are you exploring, how much are you learning, how much are you taking risks? Uh, both, both actually. Um, I so so for me right now when I'm thinking when I evaluate future opportunities, it is the like um, how much am I learning and, and that. And, and, and startups you are famous for you learning a lot, right? Mm -hmm. And also for failing a lot. Uh, but I also do measure it in terms of the potential uh, good it will cost for the world. I think that if I can go out, and, and I, I know the numbers are stacked against me, but I, that doesn't stop me from believing. I think if I can go out and figure a way to scale up the, scale up the education platform that we are building right now across a whole bunch of universities, universities and other learning communities that that can be far more impact than I have had in the past two years uh, and that's really the promise of which that I'm so uh, drawn to right uh, but, but if I stand today and I look back in the last two years um, what should I what do I think is a fair measurement of, um, of of the work that I've done is it the impact that I've had on the lives of citizens or is it the learning that I've had for the past two years because 
because the learning that I've had can actually help propel what I do in these next two years mm-hmm. or in whatever period of time in the future. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a question I don't have an answer to at all, Robert, but yes, I, I, am, I am thinking hard about it. Yeah, and, and you are working with a very different set of parameters, which is exciting, right? Because, uh, you know, previously, a lot of the work that you were doing was mostly funded by the government, right? Or on government time. Uh, but now you... We're going to be bootstrapping. Yeah, yeah so you're going to have to ask yourself how you're going to get funded. Yeah, right? yeah. The question of how does how do VCs play a role yeah. in, in tech for good? Yeah, uh, yeah. This is something I've really struggled with. And my co-founder and I have had multiple discussions. Should we set it up as a non-profit? Um, because our goal is not necessarily to be making money. Our definition of a success is not a $1 billion exit. Um, but then it also a nonprofit also comes with this whole set of uh, struggles, and we both do want to grow very rapidly and and deliver that value very quickly and immediately. So, in light of that, we have decided that we're going to set it up as a, a for-profit company. But then we are kind of somewhat picky on on who we want to be getting funding from. Right? Uh, we may not be wanting to get it from the big name uh, VCs because. They, for them, we will just be one portfolio company. Um, so a generalist VC would want uh, a huge exit for us to be considered successful. But perhaps um, I could go to a more specialist VC or family officers or even angel investors who are in the space or even just bootstrap it or even cross-subsidize it from other work that we do on the side. Uh, so there are a whole variety of models out there. I think what matters is to have a clarity of thought on why you are doing what you're doing and how it aligns with other people's uh, goals and missions. That's very cool. Well, Nikhil, I wish you all the best in that Thank you. journey. I, Thank I mean, you. maybe when you've made some headway in that, I'd love to have a part two episode yes, let's where absolutely. we find out, you know, actually what have you learned and all of that. We didn't get to talk about some of the other stuff that you were doing, but I know I do encourage people to reach out and hear more. You know, Nikhil has this thing called Tinder for monkeys, <laughs> which I think would be fascinating to hear about. I, I just wish we had the time to talk about that. But, you know, lots of fun today. I'm really glad that you came on board. Uh, and, you know, I'm looking forward to hearing more of your adventures. Thank you for your time, Ruby. This was a great conversation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Good Technologists. If you like what we are doing, you can always find out more on our website, better.fg, and subscribe to the podcast via your typical channels, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever app you prefer. This podcast was produced and edited by myself, Rovic Robert, and Dominic Soon, CFO of better.fg. Our email address is goodtech at better.fg. Please let us know what you think. We will see you in the next episode.